Remember, we have an advantage over the world. We have a perfect God. Isn't that wonderful to know? We have a perfect God. So none of us at any time in our life can find any fault with God. So all the fault must be with everybody else. Because it can't be with him. Because he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't do anything wrong. What can you blame him for that went wrong in your life? There's all kinds of things you can blame, but God isn't one of them. Now, we have a perfect book. A perfect God and a perfect book. And the Bible says the testimonies of the Lord are true, making wise the simple. And that God's word is perfect. It's holy. It's sweeter than honey. All these wonderful things about the Word of God. And you and I are supposed to believe that this perfect God that gave us a perfect book has a perfect plan for our life. I'm supposed to believe that. Not just a good one, not just an acceptable, but a perfect will for my life. That you may know what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God what it says. I used to take those three words, good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Take the G from good and the acceptable and the A and the, the P and G-A-P and gap. And I believe that in this world, the perfect will of God is for us to fill the gap between God and man so that God can use us to reach others. And so all of the problems that we have, as I mentioned was to prepare you for greater things so that God can use you in more areas. Isn't that wonderful to know? Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about this subject of what causes depression. Now, some of the stories you've heard before, but we're going to look at it from the point of view of the emotions that are found in the lives of these individuals. Because we are emotional people. We have feelings. We react. We respond. Because of what we see and what we hear, what we're going through, what we feel. And a lot of God's children do not have the patience that they need. Ooh, I hate sometimes things not working out the way I want it to. And I really despise getting behind a slow driver on the highway. Especially when they ought to know I've got things to do and places to go. And it seems like they're in no hurry at all. And one of these days, I just felt like just laying on the horn as I passed by and looking at them real mean. And as soon as I did, I know it's going to be, there goes Mr. Paulson. <laughs> you know, or there goes Steve. There goes Steve. You know, because I'm going to be in a hurry. And I'm going to see somebody else. And I think... You know, why, why are they going so slow? Some people have patience in this world. And I'm, I'm not one of them. I want things now. So I get very frustrated, angry, quick. And uh, Betty would just sit there and she's just... Mm, nothing, just get mad once in a while. <laughs> she, won't, she hardly ever gets mad at anything or anybody. Nothing, man... Makes me bite my tongue. But anyway, as we're moving right along, 
Last week we spoke on the guilt, greed, and anger, hatred, and being perfect and how it can really cause you a lot of problems and emotions and depression because we get down so easily, so quickly. But a lot of it has to do with our perspective on life, what we expect and what doesn't happen. And we don't know how to handle this emptiness, the void, the shortness of getting what we want. I used to always talk to the people, you know, have a dream. You heard that guy, have a dream. I, I had a dream. And man, my dream turned into a nightmare. And um, God says in his word, be careful of those dreamers who say, God have said. And God said, I didn't say that. And God's going to have to deal with those dreamers. It's good to dream if it's good dreams and about the right thing, about what the will of God is and the right that you want to do. But a lot of times we don't, we don't do that. But anyway, there's a several other emotions that we have, and that's worry and jealousy. Worry and jealousy. Just those two little words I want to just deal with tonight. Because I want you to see in the lives of individuals what it does to them. See, if you could study the, the Bible and you studied the characters in the Bible, you'll find out they were real people who really had responsibilities and what their decisions was and what they did and the results. So as you study the Old Testament in Sunday school, it was always, you know, the positive things. And David killed Goliath. Yay! Daniel in the lion's den. The three Hebrew children. You know, good stories that always is positive and on the up and the up. But very seldom that we look at the same men later and study how they were thinking. What caused them to be so down and discouraged and so depressed? So we're looking at a little bit of that here tonight. So take your Bible and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel and chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, and I want you to look there in verse 14. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 14. Everyone's heard the story of David and how he, you know, took care of Goliath. Well, that, that's a good story, and I like that story. And I'm going to preach on it one of these days. Well, I have many times, but, but I want you to notice here in verse 14, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, many times it's just if the Lord takes his hand off of you, you'd be surprised at the devastation that can take place. What can happen to you and what God permits to happen to you when God takes his hand off of you? Uh, you have no idea how protected you are, how protected I am, because the hand of the Lord is upon us. But do you realize if God took his hand off of us, how quickly we would sink, stumble, fall? If God removed that little fence of protection around us, we are not as strong as we think. Remember last week we talked about Moses. And Moses says, Lord, I do not want to see my wickedness. In other words, I don't want to see how bad I really am. Because Moses was a perfectionist. He wanted everything right. And he couldn't do everything right. And because he couldn't, he'd just lose his temper and get mad. And say things he shouldn't have said. Did things that he shouldn't have done. Did it cost him? Oh, it cost him. 
cost him dearly. But anyway, he makes a statement here that Saul was beginning to drift away from the Lord. God told Saul, I have reached down and got a hold of you, and I, I made you the king. I chose you. And he says, when thou was little in thine own eyes, I exalted you. But now he's gotten to the place where he no longer wants to listen to God. He's becoming too big for his britches. So his heart begins to stray from the love of the Lord. And God knows this. You see, they were able to do certain things because the Spirit of God would come upon them. And then the Bible says that the Holy Spirit would leave them. Now, that doesn't mean they lost salvation, but they did lose the joy of their salvation. And that they were like put on a shelf and not used by God the way God wanted to. So anyway, because of his problem, the Bible says here in verse 15, Saul's servant said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. It troubleth thee. Uh, remember this, Satan likes to fish in troubled waters. Satan likes to fish in troubled waters. When he can find a troubled soul, an emotional wreck, somebody's ready for their little breakdown. They can't take any more. When you're all troubled, that's when the devil really likes to go fishing because he's going to catch you. It's so easy for him to catch. And then he can lead you and guide you because you work off of emotions. See, what stabilizes a Christian is whenever he is moved and guided by facts that don't move. Things that don't change. The rock of the Word of God. The Lord that doesn't move. The Word that is solid. Hold fast onto these things. And you will be as stable as that which you hold on to. And if you hang on to the things of the world you're not going to be very strong, and you can't last long. So anyway, he says here in verse 16, Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is cunning player on the harmonica. <clears throat> Let me read that again. To seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp, and it shall come to pass, when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. Now you and I know that tension really causes all your muscles to tense up, and it can really affect you physically. And something was wrong with him mentally, because he had lost his trust in the Lord. And because he would go into great depression... And you and I know that sometimes when we get all uptight, that you can play some nice, soothing music, and you'd be surprised how it can relax you, because it affects the mind. And when it affects the mind, it can affect the body and relax you, like sitting in a nice big old tub full of nice hot water. Oh, man. When you're tired and weary and worn and you feel the tub almost where it's ready to flow over the top. And you just sit there for about 20 minutes when it's just nice and hot. Oh, what a way to go. And then when you think about the music having the same effect upon you, it relaxes you. So here's a man, the king, 
And did you know that the Lord allowed this to happen? Did you know that God, while he was allowing this, God had been working and preparing a young man? A little shepherd boy. A nobody. I mean, the eighth in the family of Jesse. And he's out there tending the sheep. And the Bible says that he was cunning, skilled. You see, it doesn't matter whatever it is, whatever thy hands findeth to do, do it with all thy might. And some people learn how to play guitar. Some people learn how to play a, a piano. Some learn how to play a harmonica. But whatever it is, you should try to do a good job. Did you realize that out of all the people in the whole land of Israel, do you think David was the only one that could play our harp? But he probably learned the skills. And he was very, very good. And that God was able to prepare him. And here's a king that needed some soothing music. And it just so happens that somebody happened to know a little shepherd boy. And anyway, God brought him in. And God was able to use him in a great way. You see there in verse 17, And Saul said unto his servant, Provide me now a man that can play well, and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing, a valiant man, man of war, prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. You see that little phrase, the Lord is with him. People could tell this kid walked with God. Something about this young individual. And so anyway, he goes and he plays, and Saul is greatly comforted because of that. And it says there in verse 23, And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took a harp and played with his hands. So Saul was refreshed. And was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. All because of a, a young boy who just did a job well. And do you think that if we're going to do anything, we ought to do? You never know how God is going to use something that seems like it's so small. And yet the Bible tells us about this kid. See there in verse 12. It says, and he sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance. Goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. It left, in verse 14, it left Saul, but it went to David. And David was going to be the next king. So the Lord knows how to raise up and how to put down. And you remember that even though God may have raised up Saul, God can also take it away from him. God may give you things today because of your faithfulness and take it away tomorrow because of your unfaithfulness. The Lord works behind the scenes that you cannot see, and he has a reason for doing what he does. You're not supposed to learn that, but these are things that affect our attitudes. Now, when you read in the New Testament, a lot of times you can take the word spirit, the human spirit of man, and talk about the attitude that a man has. The spirit within him, the attitude that he has. How does he see things? What's his perspective? And all these things are very, very important. Now, look in chapter 18. Chapter 18. 
We'll come at another time and talk about the little battle that they had going on, but uh, there's other things that I want to talk about. And um, I want you to notice there in chapter 18 and verse 5, David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, behaved himself wisely. Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. It came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets and music and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another and they, as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. See anything wrong there? If you was Saul, and especially when it's the women. Remember at one time Saul was a young man and Saul was head and shoulders above everybody in the whole nation. He must have been a man's man. Now here comes this little squirt. And all the women are singing about, hey, Saul has killed his thousands, but he has killed his tens of thousands. Do you think there's any room here for a little bitterness and hatred? Jealousy starts building up inside of an individual. Remember this. If you ever see anyone succeed in life because they did something wicked, why would you be jealous of them for that? If they got what they got because of wickedness, why would you want that? Another point. Why would you be envious or jealous of anybody who got what they did because they did right. So jealousy is a loser either way. Regardless of what other people do, it should not cause you to wish them evil and try to exalt yourself as though I'm better than they are. Well, then let God exalt you and let God humble them. You don't have to try to do it. You can let God handle it. Now look in verse 8. Look in verse 8. It's important to see the attitude. Because this is what causes depressions. It's your perspective, how you see things. Saul knows he's not going to live forever. But he also sees a young man coming on the scene. And what scared him the most about David was, he said, The Lord was with David. The Lord was with him. See, in verse 8, Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousand, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. In other words, he kept his eye on him because he didn't trust David. The jealousy is the fear of being replaced. Now, that can happen on your job. That can happen in a church. Can you get jealous of what somebody else is doing in a church? And say, well, well, I'm just as good as they are. I don't know why I can't do this or why I didn't get a chance to do that. Well, what about me? Am I chopped liver? You know how we always say it. You'd be surprised how quickly that little demon can build up inside of you and eat at you. 
And did you know that it can affect you for the rest of your life until you get it settled? And it can eat on the inside of you like cancer. If you see, see, what if I this? Are there not other churches where a preacher has 10 times more people than I have here at Calvary? But they're not as good as I am. So therefore, I'm jealous. They ought not have that many. I ought to have more than them. I'm better than them. And so I could let that eat at me until it destroys me. It can happen. When you can have a, a youth group, or you can have the choir, or you can have, you know, I don't care what it is. There's always somebody that can do probably something better than you. But one thing that you can have between you and God is a walk with the Lord that they can't take away from you. And you ought to be as close to the Lord as you want to be. But one thing that will get between you and the Lord is envying and jealousy. Because sin will separate you from your heavenly Father in the sense of your walk with the Lord. And there is a price that you're going to pay. Uh, look what he also says down here in verse 12. And Saul was afraid of David. Why? Because the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him and he was afraid. But what did David do in verse 14? And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways and the Lord was with him. See, that's more important than anything else in the world. David was not the king. He was submissive. He behaved himself well. He didn't do wrong. He didn't try to attack. He didn't try to get even. All he did was do right. He didn't ask for what he re received. He didn't ask to be anointed king. He was just a humble shepherd boy to do whatever the father wanted him to do. You just be faithful to do what God wants you to do and let God raise you or humble you, whatever God wants. God says in his word that he will not put you underneath a bush. If you will be faithful to shine, he'll put you on something so that you can shine as a light. Believe the Lord and trust the Lord. And so it says here in verse 15, Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, not just wisely, but very wisely, he was afraid of him. Why was he afraid? Because he knew that the Lord was with David, and he was going to be replaced. He knew it. He could see it. So what are you going to do to how to solve this problem? What should Saul do to solve this problem? Well, kill him. There's the answer. All you got to do is kill him. So um, he did try that. And so um, a lot of problems. Look in, uh, at verse 28. Verse 28. And it says, And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michael Saul's daughter loved him. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David, because now his daughter loves him. It didn't matter what happened. David behaved himself. And look what he says now in verse 30. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass... After they went forth, that David, and you ought to have, underline them, behaved himself more wisely. See, every time it gets better and better and better. 
he disciplined himself more and more. And so the more he did, the more that he was hated. The more he was hated. Now, look there in, get the right chapter here. David now is going to have a, a big problem, but I want you to take your Bible and look now in the Second Samuel in chapter 13. Second Samuel in chapter 13. We know that David had sinned, and because of his sin, the Bible tells us that God was going to have to chasten David because of it. And um, look there in chapter 12 very quickly. And just look up there in verse 6. Uh, because a little story was told to David. And as David listened to the story about a, a man who had taken the next door neighbor's little lamb. And slaughtered it so that he could feed a, a visiting traveler who came to his house. And he had a lot of sheep. But he took the neighbor's only little lamb that they had and he killed it. And David got mad, and in a fit of anger, he said something that he lived to regret. And he says in verse 5, And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan the prophet, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Well, he shouldn't have said that. And in verse 6, And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And then Nathan looked at him and says, Thou art the man. Thou art the man. You're the one that did it. And so God said some things to him. But he says down in verse 13, David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Thou shalt not die. Now, I believe that later on, David wished that he had died. He wished he had died. But right here, God says, thou shalt not die. And he says in verse 14, Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. This little lamb that this neighbor had died. So God has allowed this little child, an innocent little child, never done anything to nobody, just born. And, and God let that little lamb, that little child die. And David, it says, not only because the lamb died, but fourfold. And so God says, this is what's going to happen. You and I need to understand these are not just stories in the Bible. There's biblical principles laid down in the scriptures that you and I are supposed to learn from to guide our lives. There has to be something by which we can apply to our life to make us wiser so that we don't have to reinvent the wheel or fall into the same hole that somebody else fell into.